You are listening to the Bondzilla Podcast. The Bondzilla Podcast is an ongoing analysis of two of Cinema's longest-running franchises, James Bond and Godzilla. This week, we take a step back in time to the Showa era and take a look at the origins of the Queen of the Monsters. It's 1961's Mothra. James Bond. Hello, everybody. Welcome to another episode of the Bondzilla podcast. I am Nick. I'm Will. And uh, we're now into, we've been doing the Bond adjacent stuff for quite a while now, um, but now we've completed our main Godzilla timeline, uh, our main Toho Godzilla timeline. We've reviewed all the movies, including King of the Monsters, and now we're going to be on the Godzilla side of things, also taking a look at some of the uh, odds and ends of the kaiju world that we we may have maybe mentioned along the way, but we definitely have not seen or reviewed just yet. So I'm um, excited for this little little era of the Bond's Little Podcast. Yeah, it's fun because, especially like starting off the year, uh, just uh, you know, finishing off the last year with finishing the official yeah. canon and then like just re- and beginning anew, uh, being able to finally talk about outside related uh, Godzilla uh, and kaiju uh, film and media, which uh, which of there which there is a plenty, yeah. um, and and definitely things uh, to the point where it, it's actually a little bit more trickier to choose which ones to watch uh, because like there there's so many like I feel like with Bond there was a level of like there were so many instant ones you can go to and you know i think we had taken the opportunity to make some interesting choices along the way but Mm -hmm. like i think you and i had talked about for a while that like when that was done it was like all right well obviously you're gonna do austin powers like obviously we're gonna do man from uncle and like obviously mission Impossible. like there were just so many like clear uh influences and everything and with um godzilla it was a little bit different and then also, with Godzilla, what's interesting about choosing different things is that the uh, much like it, it feels like with the with the Bond stuff, there was a clear trajectory of like all the stuff that you would choose, and there was all this like yeah. adjacent material that had um, was either influenced by Bond or was in that same realm. Whereas, I think we're going to find with this Godzilla history, we're actually going to be delving back into. The history, right? Actually, because well, the it. other thing about it is that, and and I mean, we were talking about, you know, uh, the other thing about the Godzilla side of things is that, um, also it's just like with Eon and the Bond thing, just being Bond and that's the only thing they're doing. It's not like there are other Eon films we can look at. Whereas like with Toho, uh, and with the giant monster world, there's definitely a lot of other things. I mean, we have definitely have monsters that have individual movies. Uh, I know. This will probably come up, but I, I would love to take a further dive into other King Kong stuff, um, especially with the movie coming out later this year. Um, you know, and I think like I'll probably look at Gamera at some point as well, like kind of what else is out there. But mm-hmm. there's definitely like a clear like other things that Toho has been doing in their history and things that we've briefly mentioned and talked about within the history of this podcast as well. So I'm. Uh, I'm excited to kind of deep dive into these uh, right. n- these kind of new but old things. Yeah, and like the Bond stuff, there there 
there was a sense of here's a lot of just modern day or contemporary examples that we can go to yeah. that have some sort of right, influence right, right. on because it. Because that's the thing too is that uh, and we've talked we 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 even talked about this within the Our Man Flint episode um, is that we were on really on a run of like kind of. 90s onward stuff right we were doing austin powers jack ryan mission impossible i mean uh outside of that like we were doing like you know darby o'gill and and chitty chitty bang bang to start off but still like it's been it's been a run and in in our in our next episode for bond which is going to be man from uncle the 2015 version of it again we're going to be taking that a modern interpretation Mm -hmm. of of another ian fleming kind of world so you know, it's it's going to be fun, I think, and I already can tell you it was very fun with, with this film we we're talking about today uh, to kind of dive back a little bit back into the past. Yeah, uh, yeah. Because that's, I mean, really that's the thing. And I, I, like I said, on the Ma- Our Man Flint episode, and sometimes people don't listen to all the episodes, so I'll reiterate it here. One of the best things about this podcast is really going through all of film history uh, and seeing like weird things from the 60s and 70s. Mm-hmm. And in terms of, and that, that remains true for both the, the Bond and Godzilla side of things, and and being being able to go and and watch all these movies is definitely something that I've gotten more into through this podcast and through Disney Plus, and really delving into that stuff. Where it's like I really kind of want to discover more of these interesting times in film history. Um, and so I think the Godzilla side of things here, in terms of looking at other Godzilla and kaiju related material, mm-hmm. I think is really going to give us an opportunity to delve into that stuff. Yeah, the God and the Godzilla franchise itself, and just Toho and and everything, because I think that's another aspect of it that you're right. Eon is mostly doing its own thing, and it's like mostly focusing on. Well, it's really only focusing on right. James Bond within stuff. Eon's history, they've only made one non-James Bond movie, and that was a Bob Hope comedy, mm-hmm. Call Me Buana, like in, very early in their history, like right after Doctor No. And when that, you know, that did not work, it just basically at that point, Cubby was like, "Okay, well, we're just doing Bond now." Like that was that was the thing, and you know, so it, it's just kind of like the so the sole focus on Bond is just like you, there's only. So much within the actual Bond world that you can actually take, and it's a lot of it's going to be the influences. Whereas with 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 Godzilla, there's going to be, I think, a lot more direct connections to the King of the Monsters. Well, well, throughout the course of uh, doing the uh, like revisit, not revisiting, but going through all the Godzilla films, we had always talked about like, well, well, like this was also going on at the time. Yeah. Like they were also making these other movies, and Toho was making these movies, Honda was making these movies. Oh, and then by the way, Gamera was also happening. So yeah. that there is kind of like this history adjacent stuff. Whereas I think with the Bond stuff, it was more uh, genre adjacent stuff and, adjacent. and influential stuff. Yeah. Whereas this is all it, it, this. It's funny because the Godzilla stuff is less so all the stuff that has influenced, and we, we we'll get in, we may get into some movies that I would say are directly uh, have direct, some direct descendants. Yeah, direct descendants of it. Whereas I think for a while we're going to be looking into movies that are like, oh, by the way, if we just looked over here while this is happening, yeah, because um, that could have been another direction the podcast to go. But I think it was smart for us to just focus on the main Godzilla appearances. Um, obvious, we, obvious tip to all podcasters: always admit when you're smart in your podcast. Oh yeah, that's pat how, ourselves on that, the back. That's how you get Bluetooth sponsors. <laughs> uh, we but, do not need Bluetooth sponsors. By the way. <laughs> Bluetooth, I appreciate that you're out there supporting the podcasters, but I, I think we we would have other. I, I think me undies would probably be more of a thing for us. Really, you think would we be a me undies? I thought we're more of like a. Loot crate. Does loot crate still do? Or is uh, they're they're, as far as I know, they're basically on the precipice of 
like no. going, going under. Yeah, yeah. What about what's the mattress one? Isn't there a mattress one? Purple? I think it's purple mattresses. Yeah. It's something because it's one of those like you can turn back the mattress if it doesn't work or something. Yeah, yes, yeah. How many people do you think do that? Not enough. Like it just seems like it's such a like ludicrous uh, yeah. because it's like who's gonna get the mattress? And then just being like, well, because it doesn't exactly feel like a cloud, I'm gonna put it back in the box. Yeah, gonna that, fold it up I, I, back I in the like tube. Not enough. More people. A lot of people have thought about it. Yeah. But not enough people have actually done it. Yeah. This one, it would be like if we got uh, like the mattress one, it would be like it would be like laying on the the soft wings of the queen of the monsters herself, Mothra, which uh, is our movie today. Yes. Hey. Segway. Uh, so yes, that uh, the first film I thought we would talk about. Speaking of adjacent stuff going on in with the Godzilla franchise, is I thought we'd take a step back in time to the early days of Toho and the whole monster kaiju craze uh, by uh, visiting a familiar, famous uh, insect monster face uh, in the form of our beloved Mothra in the original. 1961 movie, Mothra, also known as Masora in Japanese, uh, directed by, once again, uh, the legendary kaiju filmmaker Ishiro Honda. Well, what about the other American title? Well, what's, 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 the what's, one we saw in the trailer. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. What was it? Mothra <sighs> the God Monster? Yeah, Mo- Mothra the God Monster. Well, you know, it's funny because I was looking it up, and the, one of the, the American title for uh, the 60s Mothra versus Godzilla yeah. film is um, uh, The Thing versus Godzilla. Right. So for some reason, I had always thought that like that was the American name for Mothra yeah. and all around. But no, it was always just just called Mothra. Mothra the God Monster. Yeah. So um, and in fact, it's funny. On I have the steel book for for this movie, and I think the the tagline is like greatest monster of all creation <laughs> or, or something like that. Uh, but yes, uh, 1961's uh Mothra, which so, was a treat because uh this was actually a film uh, that I had never actually sat down. Yes, and of and, course and I've watched. never seen it. And it's also a treat because we get to return to the wonderful world of the Showa era, which yeah. I have mentioned many times on this podcast that uh, may be my favorite Godzilla era, yeah. uh, just purely from a watch standpoint. But still, like, but it's funny because... But it's still, like, very early, because this, yeah. be- this is before, I mean, to get into our timeline, this is before King Kong versus Godzilla. So this is right. the first, you know, this is very much like, We've had Godzilla, and in terms of what I've seen and what I know, we've had we had Godzilla, we had Godzilla raids again, and we kind of had you know that big chunk of time, and then kind of Godzilla versus King Kong, uh, or King Kong versus Godzilla, I should mm-hmm. say. Godzilla versus King Kong is the one coming out later this year. King Kong versus Godzilla it is basically the true beginning of what the Showa era is, and it's really kind of the beginning of what Godzilla became. Mm-hmm. It was a really you know. Like, it really kind of defined the the true versus movie, the true fight movie. The tone of those 60s Showa films is really established in uh, King Kong versus Godzilla. And I think it like for, in terms of Godzilla's Showa era, it's like we're just on that just at the beginning of it. And I think like we'll talk about in the movie, but Mothra has a lot of that stuff that we would see within um, the ongoing Showa era since you know King Kong versus Godzilla onward, which. I think it's going to be very interesting. To yeah, talk about. it's that really. It's funny because it's that super 
early Showa era where, to give some context of it, Godzilla came out in 1954, uh, and then through that late 50s, early 60s period, Toho was on board the whole monster kaiju train. Right, and just a lot of different other monsters. Yeah, so like the, the movies that had come out during this time were Rodan, um, uh, The Mysterians, Varen was another, was another film that came out, uh, and then including this movie, and then also Raids Again came out. Um, but it is interesting because you do see that turning point eventually with King Kong versus Godzilla. Yeah, I think because th- th- these movies were mostly you're you're pretty straight laced, straight to the point monster flicks. Right, yes, yeah. yeah. They they really weren't defined by I think some of those elements that we see that King Kong versus Godzilla ultimately established. Yeah, it's, it's especially going back, and it's like interesting, like reflecting on these types of things because you really do see. Like I said, I think within this movie, and when we get to the movie, I think it'll make more sense as we discuss it. Um, but you do see kind of the mixture of kind of like, really, this is kind of becomes a mixture of like things that were going on in the original 54 Gojira mm-hmm. and things that would be established within King Kong versus Godzilla. It's kind of like an interesting kind of, you see the transition kind of happening, I think. Right, right. Um, and because I think there was a level of always, especially with the Honda films, which all of these were. Um, about that that uh, that push to individualize the monsters a little bit away. We always knew that Honda was a, a guy who wanted to add some a little bit of pathos to each of the monster characters, and not that yeah. they were just giant beasts; that they were tragic figures in their own right. Um, I'm not I'm not too familiar with Varen and the Mysterians, but obviously Rodan has the whole like oh like the two Rodans who are mates with each other, and one mm-hmm. like dies alongside the other one. So there was a little bit of that, and I'm sure War of the Gargantuans has something to that extent. Yeah, <laughs> um. Which is another one I I, I haven't actually uh, we've seen, seen. We've seen footage. A of lot it. of people were like, I actually said this uh, to to uh, some people regarding this one that this was the first time um, I, I I had seen yeah. I had seen it, um, and uh, it was it was interesting. Well, I'll get I'll, I'll get to some of my responses to that because I thought it was actually interesting um, revisiting like revisiting it after all these years yeah. or visiting it for the first time. Um, so yeah, so keeping that in mind, you know, at, at this time it's starting to be, it's, uh, the early sixties, uh, Toho was looking for their next project and, uh, famous Toho producer, uh, Tamayuki Tanaka, um, looking for the next story that they're going mm-hmm. to make, uh, hired an author by the name of Shinichiro Nakamura to write an original monster story. And through the collaboration with two other writers, uh, Takahiko Fukun- uh, Fukunaga and, uh, Zene Hota, uh, the three each wrote uh, a three-part, each author wrote a part of it, um, story, a, like a published, a published novel, as it were, like a serialized published novel yeah. uh, that was uh, going to be entitled The Luminous Fairies and Mothra. And uh, it was just three short stories all connected about a expedition going to this island and they discover some fairies, but they're meddling uh receives the wrath of an ancient monster uh, creature called Mothra. Mm. Uh, so it was kind of like just this commissioned idea that it's like, all right, let's write an original story about it, and then you know we'll see if we like it, and then we will uh, adapt it. Um, so while writing uh, the original story, uh, Nakamura uh, chose a giant moth as the uh, central creature that obviously I mean at this point you know there's no bearing the lead this is Mothra we all know yeah, yeah, Mothra's it's, deal it's, not, yeah, <laughs> it's, it's definitely like Mothra yeah um, which is um, 
I mean, you know, just to kind of based off of that alone, like I think not to just go into it too quickly, but you know, this is the beginnings of it all. Like all yeah. the, this, the, one of the our favorite kaiju. I mean, yeah, Mothra. Is, ever Mothra is probably like I mean, Mothra's in that triumvirate. Like I mean, the reason there's a reason Mothra appears in King of the Monsters. Mm-hmm. It's you know, Mothra, Godzilla, Ghidorah are kind of like your real true triumvirate and then Rodan's I probably kind of just on the outside. Yeah, cuz it's it. funny that Rodan I think can easily get forgotten as like made a debut as like as, as a movie. It's no movie, yeah. Fairly early on even before Mothra or Ghidorah. So yeah. it, it's just interesting going back and like seeing like that right. there's like because, this one two three I, punch. I think what's also interesting is like because like if you were to put like a fourth, like if you were to have like your Mount Rushmore of Toho Kaiju you like the the fourth one could be debated. Like the thing is, is like you have your, you know, I think Godzilla, Mothra, and Ghidorah are definitely all on that Mount Rushmore. If we're going with the four, mm. but you could put a Rodan. You could argue something like you know Mechagodzilla, like one of the Mechagodzilla designs. You could argue, you know, I think there's other monsters you could put up there as kind of the main four. Like probably, yeah, Ro- I, I think, think like Rodan's I, probably. I, like, no, the I, th- most I, I think if you were to do the. The Mount Rushmore, it would probably be well, but Ghidorah has three heads. How do you we're, count? We're for gonna, that? we're gonna, we're gonna count it all three heads as one. It's like yeah. a one. It's one sculpt. Okay. All right, fair enough. Sculpt. <laughs> like if Abraham Lincoln had two heads, they would still put four presidents. It would just be like the two halves. Right, right. They would just kind of like pile them on. Yeah. Top of each other. Right. Yeah. Like a it's double character. Like a, a, it's more one structure. It's, it's like, like four structures. It's like how Banjo Kazooie take up one slot in yes. Smash Brothers. Yes. Like it's like the yes. ice climbers. Like it's yeah. like, it's like that. Yeah. Um, but but it, regardless of who that fourth one is, like you yeah. definitely are putting those three. Yeah. There's no doubt that Godzilla, Mothra, and Ghidorah are the three, and there's a reason for that. And and Mothra has been a part of some of our favorite films up to this point. Like, mm-hmm. we, we do, I mean, Mothra 92, all-time classic, uh, Tokyo SOS, her appearance in that, which mm-hmm. obviously is kind of our first inkling of what happened for us. Yeah. Well, because that is a di- one of the few direct sequels to Yeah, this it movie. is funny to think about that that movie is technically a direct sequel right. to this and, film. And, and references this movie much more than Mothra versus Godzilla yeah. does in, in many ways. Yeah, and... Um, and so and then and then leading all the way up until this this previous year in which you know we have like you know Mothra appearing in a movie that you know even some of the detractors would say is one of the favorite parts of, of yeah. the film is Mothra. Yeah. Um. So, but also taking in mind all those other creatures that we have seen up until this point, uh, the reason that a giant moth was chosen in the first place was because the notion of a transforming monster, uh, a monster to transform naturally in some way, uh, was... Uh, Very intriguing. Yeah, it was intriguing. It was different. It was because at this point, you've had Godzilla, you have Anguirus, uh, you've had Rodan, you've had Varen, which are basically all dinosaurs slash lizards. And um, so the the next big thing, I guess, you know, would be to get a bug. Um, right, which is like the most, which it, it, was an interesting, uh, and I think smart move to take yeah. for a, for another giant monster. Mm-hmm. You mean it wasn't because they came up with the name Mothra and they're like, well, it has to be a monster. <laughs> wouldn't that be funny? Yeah. <laughs> it's just like, oh, what else could it be? Mothra. Uh, yeah. So, um, so that was a, so that was a the um, uh, one of the first things decided about like the creature itself. Um, and then um, just uh, in writing the story, there was a couple different aspects that were always prevalent in the story. We're gonna we're, we'll get into the differences between the original story and some of the early drafts of the script versus what's in the movie now. But 
right from the beginning, there was always a spiritual edge to it, that there mm-hmm. was always this kind of like ancient God worshiping uh, aspect to the story right. um, that was always supposed to be in there, uh, that they liked the, they liked uh, the, the more um, what they considered to be a more maternal female aspect of the film in this specific case. It was yeah, yeah, yeah. To go to the that's fairies. always been like an, an aspect of Mothra, mm-hmm. um, especially within the Godzilla canon is that it's very much gives off a, a traditional feminine vibe. And it's also cause like the, the fairies have been some of our more prominent recurring female characters within the, the franchise. And Mothra has always had that aspect to her mm-hmm. as well. So yeah. It's very interesting that that's, you know, and, and thinking about it, it would be something if you're looking for something different and they kind of combining all that, like a transforming monster, more feminine qualities to mm-hmm. it, like more of a spiritual godly thing. It's like a kind of like putting all that together makes it very interesting and something new, it seems, something fresh. And even and even the uh, the title to the original story, the luminous fairies and Mothra just yeah. evokes more of a And giving um, and giving them an actual connection to humanity. Yeah. In, in some sense of the word. Like obviously the fairies aren't necessarily humanity as you know, humans, because it's obviously the humans discover them in this movie, but there is a sense of like connecting them to a culture, connecting them to these fairies, make them different than Godzilla and Rodan's, which are more just creatures that, yes, you know, are influenced by man's mistakes, but Mothra mm-hmm. does have more of a, a connection to like people and i think that's very very interesting also interesting to know see that in the original title that the fairies themselves get almost top billing above mothra mm-hmm. in, in the title it, it, and it makes sense especially when you watch the movie that there is more i think we tend to always think of like the mo- the the fairies come with mothra in all of the stories to the point that they can be adapted in different ways or they could be omitted in certain ways. And then it's mostly Mothra as the main key. And it, it, it's it's interesting to think of the story as like, oh, that like the fairies themselves are are the somewhat of the lead or at least part of the like. Uh, yeah. yeah, they're 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 co-leads with Mothra, as it were. Uh, in fact, to a point that I think that eventually you could probably make a story where you can give the the fairies way more of a of a leading role because i think what what were the ones i mean i guess 92 is kind of like that um they're very present 92 um i think the be- well no they do I, they do a lot in mothra versus Godzilla. yeah they do they, 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 they do a yeah. lot in mothra versus Godzilla. and i think it's that and then they are given a little bit more of like fun personality in sos yes. i think they they have a little bit more yeah to do it like or at least they're a little fun in the scenes that they're in mm-hmm. um so they're they're and then they do some interesting things with them in, in the anime series too i think um but anyway so uh, going forward toho uh um loves the story they think that it's a perfect um idea to adapt into a film yeah. so uh they uh, bring on one of their uh, screenwriters, uh, Sinichi uh, Sekizawa, um, to adapt the story for the screen. Um, and, you know, like any screenwriter would do when adapting, they take the things they like and then they throw away the things that they don't like and then they uh, create a story uh, from there. Um, but it was very apparent early on um, that he was modeling the story after a sort of a combination between King Kong and Godzilla. Yeah, that makes sense. Um, which some of it, some of the story there's kind a of... Very, there's a very King Kong influence yeah. on this movie. Like the like the original King Kong. Yeah, and, and some of it is, um, I think, expected in the story. You have an expedition going to an island yeah. and, you know, 
kind of messing everything up. And then you have the, and of course, Toho wants to make a giant monster movie, so there's going to be some Godzilla influence. You got to have a monster destroying a city, yeah. wrecking havoc, and that's uh, what leads to writing the movie that we uh, know to today. Uh, but one of the things that Sekizawa did really want to do is that he wanted to streamline the entire story. That well, yeah, because the original was three kind of short stories mm-hmm. put together. And the thing is, is that whenever you're adapting something like that, it's very much like, again, I go back to this example's adaptation, but it's kind of like the Disney version of Alice in Wonderland, where the Alice in Wonderland book, Lewis Carroll's book, is very much like a series of segments because they were a series of stories he told, you know, this kid, and just like you would add something, and then the, the movie kind of takes those segments and kind of tr- creates a narrative about a, a girl who wishes everything was upside down and realizes that there's a reason that everything's not upside down mm-hmm. and kind of pushing that. And I can see the same thing here where it's like you have these short stories and yes, they are all connected and, and feature the same characters. But in terms of a movie, again, that's a different form of storytelling. Yeah. So you kind of have to rearrange things and, and make what whatever is going to be the momentum out of it. Well, one of the biggest things, and we'll get more into specifics about it later, is the uh, a lot of the the more magical spiritual elements of the story uh, were streamlined a little bit because uh, he felt that it was complicating the story or just filling up the story too much. And uh, while he didn't want to get rid of it, it was more kind of like a less is more, or let's put it more purposefully throughout the story. Right, right, and then right. his uh, his idea with the story is just to give the audience just enough right. to kind of like understand what's going on and not like... Give a taste. Yeah. Um, so uh, that was... Um, that that was his approach to the story. Very efficient and effective storytelling is what he was going for. Um, obviously, uh, Honda was brought on to direct because he's their monster man. Um, he is their you know actual human king yeah. of the monsters that they bring on board. And uh, Honda, as always, wants to add his uh, nuclear elements uh, uh, parts of the story, which to my knowledge was not... Whole, really part of the original story, but it was something that he wanted to yeah. uh, bring a part of. But uh, but more so than that, that you would find interesting, is that his approach, tone and directorial-wise, is that he very much wanted to make this film stand out from the previous monster films that he has made as being very Hollywood and Disney in nature. Makes and 100% that, sense. Yeah, yes. He, yes, he, yes, yes, yes. He, he very much aimed to make a broader appeal, family-friendly uh, f- more fun-having uh, film than maybe yeah. the previous films had had been. And that was always that was his goal from the get go. Yeah. Um, let's see. Um, so in terms of uh, so we have a writer, we have a director, and it comes a little bit into the casting of the film. Uh, one of the most famous returns of casting uh, that we cannot forget is, of course, the Shobajin fairies themselves have. Uh, well, I mean, re- I guess it's like return for us. Yeah. But they this first is their appearance. First, their first appearance, uh, played by uh, Peanut. Mm-hmm. The peanuts. Yeah, yeah, the peanuts. They they have returned. Not and, peanut peanuts. Yeah, and uh, this is kind of the story about how they got wrapped up into all of this uh, in the first place. Uh, they were a favorite of Tanaka, who wanted them to be in the movie. He just thought uh, they had it would just be fun to have the peanuts as uh, these uh, fairies. Um, yet at first, Toho had uh, much difficulty in scheduling uh, them because they had uh, previously contractual obligations. Um, with the uh, Japanese multimedia management company known as Watanabe Productions. Um, they just were 
they they couldn't get they couldn't get the dates down at first they were like oh is this going to work is this is something we want to do but you know they're tied up in in no. d- doing all their in their pop star life that makes it hollywood but um ultimately uh shin watanabe of watanabe productions duh uh agreed as uh he was excited about the idea so then when they pitched him the they basically went to the head of this multimedia conglomerate and been like hey listen uh, so here's what we're thinking we think this would be great is there any way we can get them contraction out of their some of their other obligations to do this and then he was literally like oh that actually kind of sounds fun having them in this monster film and yeah. especially at this point and i don't know the details of it, but I can only imagine like you have Godzilla, you have uh, like at this point two Godzilla films uh, in the can, uh, and then you have like just all these other monster films, and they're only getting more and more popular at this point. That there must oh, be yeah. a little bit of like, oh, this will be great for everybody. And no, it yeah, would be I fun mean to that's, see. that's that's got to be the thing. It's like when you when you 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 only seeing dollar signs. It's like well, they we promote them through this movie, and then mm-hmm. they get more appearances after that, and you know, again, it, it's just like especially with. What Toho is, if like they're just making these monster movies, it's like, well, this there could be something else here. And we've we've already seen that they can make a sequel. Yeah. Um. So the Peanuts come on board. Uh. They film all of their scenes separately from the main cast. Uh. They film most of them in front of uh, blue screens and oversized sets, similar to the tricks that they use in the uh, upcoming films as well. Uh. Their scenes were later composited into the film, and the Peanuts themselves actually never interacted. Uh. With the cast. Um. In in any way. Um. For the cast, if they had to interact with the Peanuts, they. Uh, as clearly seen in the movie, uh, they use dolls or some sort of uh, physical stand-in for the actual fairies themselves. And uh, while they were on set, the actors were on set. There would actually be a tape recorder repl- uh, playing uh, the either the uh, the Shobajin's lines or the translations of the lines or just something as a stand-in uh, for it. So well, I mean, very I mean, early that's, on, that's something that makes a hundred percent sense, especially when you watch the movie. But also, just in terms of it. it it does work the way it, they did it, and it's not like you need them there. And especially if you're having difficulty schedule them, just do what you can when you have them. Uh, so yeah, yeah. I mean, again, makes it very Hollywood. Oh yeah. <laughs> I mean, uh, it's also like kind of like it's funny because the further and further you going back, so it's like the, the really piecing it together. The and fairies are the uh, rocket raccoon. Of yeah. the uh, Godzilla and uh, Mothra franchise. Yeah, unfortunately, they could not do the um, uh, they couldn't do the uh, Hobbit force perspective. They couldn't. Uh, they yeah. couldn't get Sean Gunn to stand. Yeah, in. they couldn't do that. In fact, it's actually it's less like Lord of the Rings, and it's even less like a, a Rocket Raccoon. It is more like the Hobbit, in which uh, there's that famous uh, behind the scenes bit of uh, Ian McKellen literally acting to just like little blue screen like like have you seen yeah, this yes yeah yeah and then it's like literally like like one will light up when he has to look at it and then he's literally getting frustrated because <laughs> he's just like he's like this is not this is not what acting is i mean that that that's what i'm like Ooh, you may have went a little too far yeah. with that one um but uh you know this was all new back then guys oh, this, I mean, this, they, is, this is what you they did. had to make it work yeah um so this movie actually did come with a few uh behind the scenes uh not elaborate stories but things little Little, little tricks because another fun thing about going back and watching this is all the sets and all the the in movie uh, making magic in order to bring these things bring this, these things to this life. was 1960s Showa era so this is uh, there are some effects 
Some models. Yeah. Some 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 things. Uh, so uh, in this film, uh, in which we will see that budget has actually uh, affected this film, as we always know that like the the Showa era, in many ways, I think maybe the one era that we have always seen that budget is always a factor for better or for worse uh, in the film. It, it is yeah. funny that now going forward. That we actually don't see that being as much of a problem with well, the but with the Hasty and the but, Millennium era. But it is because that in the Hasty and Millennium era, there is a conceded effort You're true to make these movies big blockbusters. Like that's the thing is that the whole thing about the Hasty era is like we are committing to doing these Godzilla films despite the shaky start that they had, and the Millennium era is like well we need to fix the mistakes of ninety you know ninety eight and we're we're again we're trying to make these like big things that. The, the the thing about those both those eras that Toho is committed. The thing about the Showa era has always been that they're just making these movies. <laughs> they're just pumping them out. They're just pumping them out. And, you know, like that's the thing. Like, when you have an idea like Mothra, it's like, sure, yeah, it's great. Yeah, awesome. I, I, we love it. And, but then it's still like, you know, you're trying to make it on a budget. You know, they're trying to save money because they're making so many of these monster movies. And yeah. And they're just – that they view them as these are more – more so than it's actually these are – efforts to make something big they are more like these are things to make money these are mm-hmm. things to put out in theaters they do make money they will make money we'll keep making them absolutely um so some behind the scenes stories when making these uh there is a uh, new uh location created for this film in the form of uh new kirk city mm-hmm. uh part, with- of, part of a fictional country yeah um, which is a slight, which I guess is like a European slash American yes, stand-in. Yes. It's yeah, those, well, it's one of those things within the movie that is never, or initially it's never made clear. It's just, it seems like it's just another neighboring island of like Japan or something like that. Like, Well, I don't want to actually, it, it is interesting because I don't want to say that it's like European American because the influence for it design-wise uh, was openly like kind of a cross between Manhattan uh, Los Angeles and San Francisco all kind of put into yeah. one. Uh, Lo- New Los Angeles, Frisco. New Kirk City. Yeah, <laughs> uh, it just always reminds but me. Then, what's, like, the, what's the Big Hero Six City called? San, San- Francisco. Yeah, so I'm always thinking of like <laughs> that's all I could think about. Like, what's the what's the combination be- between all of that? Um, Honda had actually uh, to film some of these scenes. Actually, wanted to get a second unit out to Los Angeles uh, to film some of that stuff, but because the uh, because the budget was inflating with uh, filming some of all of these scenes, uh, he actually had to settle for just getting some stock footage of uh, Los Angeles and uh, to in piecing that together uh, in, in certain scenes, um, especially for a lot of like the freeways and like the beach footage or beachfront footage is what they were using that for. Um, on another location, uh, Honda also intended to show the inhabitants of infant island um surviving a nuclear uh nuclear testing and basically a nuclear uh environment right, which is referenced in the movie yeah it is referenced in the movie and uh he uh wanted to he he didn't want to show kind of like a bland cave he just kind of, he wanted to make a more elaborate set uh for it and honda wanted to create a type of mold for the island and asked the art department to create it but the idea was dropped due to budget costs so which I believe we actually see somewhat more uh, realized in Mothra versus Godzilla, but still, if I remember correctly, uh, budget was an issue. Mm-hmm. So this was always an idea that was never quite um, 
yeah. dealt with. Because I think the idea was always like the you would go to the island and it would look barren and abandoned. But then you go into like the caves and then it's like this lush paradise yeah. throughout. And they, they kind of hint at that with this movie by once they get past the beaches, they see a big forested area and that's about as much as they could do. Mm-hmm. But the idea of going underground and it's like a big, like, you know what it, it like? It looks like uh, in our man Flint, like when they go down into like the, in, into the island and it's like a lush paradise yeah. uh, in it. Even or, though, even though I don't think the natives have like, you know, sixties parties room. No, and that that just makes me think of the Genesis cave in uh Wrath of Khan. Uh huh. Where they're like in the like whole like facility and it's like all like in the in the Yo, rocks exactly. And stuff. Yeah, yeah, that that's and exactly that's, and what then it's they go into be. the thing and it's like this is what Genesis has done. So it, it is interesting to see this was always an idea on Honda's mind and it never quite came to fruition due due to the budget. Um but uh, one of the bigger stories in terms of uh, location and an effect was uh, there was live action uh, dam footage um, that was there's a big scene in which a dam is broken and a bunch of water comes out. That does happen uh, uh, during uh, production. Uh, our director of special effects, uh, E.G. Subaraya, ah, uh, super the old Subs, uh, told the staff he wanted to he wanted four water tanks to create raging waters that break through the dam, but the uh, but Subaraya's chief assistant art director instead built four tanks which had way more water in it than it than it needed uh but the biggest thing is that the um well to kind of paint the picture of it um the dam was built to a certain scale uh there were miniatures built around it including like all the nature all the trees and everything just to kind of uh set the scene and um but it was so thorough and so like the the art department almost did such a good job at like getting everything in there and then kind of like cementing everything down that Super I was actually upset because the set was so sturdy that there was no way to move any of it. So they had very limited options to get cameras anywhere. Mm. So they basically create just like an, a giant elaborate model that you couldn't shoot through. <laughs> so they were like, so it's funny. Cause I get when I was doing the research, I almost got this image. It's like, all right, listen, we're going to need, to do this whole scene where we're going to blow open a dam. And then they're like, you know what? We're going to do it even better. And then they like create like this whole thing. And it's like, you idiots, we can't use this now. <laughs> like we, we, we can't do it. Um, so, uh, so super, I was uh, kind of upset because you couldn't move any of the places, any of the stuff to get the camera. So it limited the amount of places that you could put a camera in. Um, the dam was also designed to realistically crumble under the weight of the water, but um, due to this, uh, really only because of, again, how sturdy they made it, only a certain amount of water like just slowly comes through. Now, it's interesting when you see the movie because you can kind of see it and you kind of can't see it. Like I get the sense that Super I wanted a very specific dam opens up. It's like, like a big know, burst of water. Yeah, big, like. big, big burst of water uh, comes out. And what ultimately happens when you watch the movie, it's like a, a whole kind of burst through the dam, right. and, it, and it comes out. It's still an impressive and it, like, visual it gets effect. And bigger and bigger and yeah. kind, of, kind of over time. Yeah, but well, it, Probably it, a little bit more realistic in that sense, but I think he wanted more of the movie spectacular magic. Right, right. And it, and it is funny to see that. And ultimately, I think they were only able to set up the camera in three different places from the entire mm-hmm. model point of view, and then they could just... They just had to piece together the three places yeah. uh, through through that. So you know, it, and, and today they wouldn't even have to worry about that. 
No, it would all be it'd done. It all be, in, it'd all be done in CGI now. Yeah. You put the camera anywhere. Yeah, you put the camera anywhere. <laughs> Super, Super <laughs> would have his mind blown. He'd be like, "What?" Um, so it, yeah, it, it is. It is interesting. Like, and and you would actually be like surprised about how much that that can still happen in productions. No, oh, no, I'm not. Like, definitely would not be surprised. Like, in I'm my, definitely not surprised. In my experience of working behind special effects driven uh, projects. Is that there is a level of like, okay, like technically as like a prop master or as like a special effects person, like it's going to be great because you put all the craft of your special effects well, making. Yeah, because but then it's like, but then there's other things like, oh yeah, but we can't show it this way because we're actually going to be filming on this location or, oh wait, it's too big so we can't frame it right. Like it's like, it's well, no, just, it's just, no, I definitely can see that happening because like the thing about like, uh, like any, any part of film is, is an artistic endeavor and props and model making and all that sort of fun stuff, that is as much like a passion. Mm-hmm. And especially with that stuff, you have to have the passion for it. But sometimes when you're too passionate or you're too you're too gung ho and you're like, this is gonna be the greatest thing ever, you just you complicate it. Oh, you, you, you complicate it too much. People will be, again, once again, repeat myself, surprised at not just like to simplify it, how often certain departments of filmmaking kind of forget about other departments of filmmaking. <laughs> Like it happens again. I I won't be surprised, uh, but I think like yeah, general population or like people who aren't into like the world of film like as deep as kind of we are. Yeah. Oh yeah. Like they'd be shocked, but it's like yeah, like you are, you get you in your own little world. You do you do you get you in your own little world. Right. And you're like you're you're kind of making an artistic piece in and of itself, and then you have to give it out to the the people who actually have to use it, and then you know you forget the practicality of it sometimes. Um. So there's that. Uh, one of the other big set pieces of the movie involved the uh, Tokyo Tower, uh, which is which uh, in this film was a model uh, built by a metalworks company. Um, the The scene in question is Mothra um, entangling itself and uh, doing a very infamous transformation around the Tokyo Tower. Uh, it was built using blueprints that to- that the Toho effects staff. Uh, got and they photographed and researched the real tower itself. So they did all their research to get like you know they they wanted to they wanted to build this thing as accurately as possible. Um, however, the blueprints that they got only showed one side of the tower, which forced the metalworks company to figure out how the rest of the tower like was made. Mm-hmm. Um, which again, it's like just funny. It's like you just can't look at it. You need to like actually you know yeah. know what you're doing and building. Well, I guess because again, like if you're just building like a model, you know, for like an art exhibit or something, again, you can just kind of build it however you want but when you actually need to use it in a practical sense need to shoot it need to have people interact with it like that's where that can get into trouble sometimes and and, um so i mean at several times toho actually reached out uh to to get the actual model and blueprints for it but of course they were like uh no yeah we're not gonna do that um so they extrapolated and made their own and uh I i believe to this day toho has always uh, maintained that their own like personal design of the Tokyo Tower to themselves uh, because they didn't want anybody benefiting from all of their extrapolation and their hard work of recreating this tower. So it's kind of like, listen, we weren't even able to get to do it like officially, so you're not getting our fake work either. Uh, which which is really funny. Some of that Toho being protective of their of their own work, That's which funny. always rears their head, and it's always funny to see. Um, music. Uh, you had asked this question during the movie, and but uh, no, this was not a Akira Fukube uh, score. Yeah, there was no big military theme, so I kind of knew after I'd asked it. But 
Um, but uh, because I, I I only asked because it was very different than Ufukube's other scores. But do you know why allegedly he is not? He did not do the score. He doesn't like bugs. <laughs> no, he actually uh, was not confident that he could write uh, music that would effectively match with the Peanuts themselves. Mm. Yeah, he just felt like that he wasn't going to be able it to wasn't write music style. for okay. them. Okay. Uh, I mean, I mean the fair, fair point. I mean, fair play. You know, if, if you feel that way, if you feel like you won't benefit the movie, then, you know, because it's one of those things like he probably had like automatic in an easy paycheck, mm-hmm. you know. Do more, do for more scores. But if he if he feels like you know the 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 quality of the movie is at stake, like that's that's good on him. Um, the score was instead composed by Yuji Koseki, uh, who also had a hand in uh, not only this score but writing some of our famous uh, Shobujin uh, and Mothra themes, including the infamous. Uh, yeah, so we do because yeah, it's song. like a lot of the you know we get the Mothra song in this movie and and this kind of you know the beginnings of of that which does carry on through most of the of the fairy appearances. Uh so in the last thing to get at before getting in the movie is the creature uh herself. This is the first time as we said yeah. already but in terms of seeing the actual beast in motion this is the first time we're seeing both larval and adult Im- forms imago. imago larval and imago forms of Mothra on screen. Uh, so this was the first time that this is the movie that they designed the creature for, developed all the props for, and the one that would just any time it appears, it's just it's based inherently on this what this movie sets up. And um, this was something where they were extremely thorough about making all like yeah. the, about designing the creature. Um, yeah. Obviously, after the creature design, but. You know, there were several models and props of like both the larva and the mothra and the lar- in the imago form uh, created, both to varying different degrees. We have figures, we have models, we have puppets, uh, all to scale with like the uh, buildings and the models they're doing. Uh, some had some slight suit performing in them. Uh, some were um, motorized, I believe they were. Um, but yeah, they were. Um, there was a hand model uh, in which, like, that would be the one that would kind of, like, slink throughout in the close-ups of the city. Um, three different models were built for the adult one, each that had different functions. Uh, each one that had slightly more uh, flexible wings, depending on what the scene was. Mm-hmm. Uh, which is probably my favorite aspect of this one, is the the wing movement, I thought was Oh, yeah, especially uh, in comparison to other Showa films. Yeah, yeah, because while... 62 is still not 62 uh 92 is still my favorite mothra uh the the one thing that i think that other different iterations of mothra that i do like i like the fluidity of the wings i like that it looks like an actual creature Mm -hmm. like flapping its wings as opposed to just kind of like the 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 mobile plane up and down like 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 thing that it has going on um so so there was that um Let's see. Uh, the eyes were lit with uh, little uh, light bulbs in, inside the eyes, uh, with uh, to make them clear enough so you could see, uh, just to give a little bit of a different thing. Which I think at this point may have been a very new thing for the monsters, because mm-hmm. none of the other monsters kind of like had like illuminated eyes like that. Um, and there was always the sense that like Honda wants to personalize these creatures yeah. more, so I think it adds a little bit more personality to the creature. Um, the, uh, a smaller model, uh, was used for the extremely long shots of, like, Mothra advancing over the city and flying over the city. 
Um, and uh, let's see. To make sure the wings flap, the models were suspended on wires from an overhead motor- motorized brake that would uh, open and close. Uh, the, so the wings go up and down, and the wires were attached at the center of the wings rather than the tips, which allowed the f- wings to flap freely in the way that I had just kind of uh, described. Um, so in terms of seeing this Mothra for the first time, um, I find myself kind of thinking, like, what is there too much else to say about Mothra? I mean, it is it is Mothra. It looks like the first time we've seen her it looks like a little bit more of a cleaner uh more well-designed version than maybe we've seen in the written in mothra versus godzilla yeah um but yeah i mean what else is there really to say about this one i have definitely things to say i don't know if you'd rather be saying no no i mean like obviously this is the part where we talk about the monster itself so seeing mothra in this iteration what were some of your thoughts this movie makes me made me appreciate the larva form a lot more, I think. Um, and I think it's because it was interesting to really see the Mothra on her own. Um, because it really, all the other times you see Mothra, she's fighting or, or alongside monsters or uh, fighting against other monsters. And I think, I think that Imago form is always done well mm-hmm. against the other monsters because it is the more powerful form. And I think what I kind of realized with this movie is that what's very interesting about how Larva Mothra is portrayed in this film is she is portrayed in her Larva form as a big danger because she's still pretty big. She seems to go through ships and, and, and stuff like that. And I think what's always been hard with Larva Mothra within the Godzilla films is because Larva Mothra is going up against all the more powerful creatures. It's going up against Godzilla and Ghidorah and Rodan and everything like that. Mm-hmm. That, like, it's always hard to kind of take it seriously because she's just, you know, shooting Silly String, which she really doesn't even have mm-hmm. in this movie that much, um, if at all. Um, but just, like, kind of really seeing, like, it reminded me, this Mothra really reminded me of the 92 Mothra. Where, mm-hmm. like, I felt like they took advantage of both forms very well. Both forms were designed, like, again, it's that classic design that we've seen, but both designs work very well within the movie. And I think it, it, it establishes Mothra as a monster to be dealt with. Mm. Um, even more so than what Mothra versus Godzilla does, I think, that this movie really establishes, like, oh, man, Mothra is a dangerous creature when right. she has that one track. Because in the movie, she has that one-track mind. And when she's going to she's going to rescue her fairies, she, nothing can get in her way. And I think that the movie definitely really does well-establish Mothra as a great monster. Yeah, I have more thoughts when talking about the movie itself, but I will piggyback off of the, the most interesting aspect of it is seeing Mothra on her own but in the within the trappings of a monster in your classic monster film where it's like a monster running amok and destroying a bunch of things because you know we're so used to mothra being either mothra evolves like definitely like all the like all the monsters with that had their individual films mothra eventually evolves into this protector of earth and the, the they double down on the spiritual element of it and in this film, it is interesting, again, to just basically see it as more a destructive force. Yeah, like that she's the thing going around, destroying them in the same way that Godzilla stomps around cities, that like Rodan flies around cities and destroying them. So that that was like an interesting aspect to see her uh, 
very much like within mm-hmm. the, within mm-hmm. that plot of a of a film. Um, so okay, so then I think that leads like without further ado, I think that leads into actually talking uh, about the film. So yeah. uh, let's get into it. Let's talk about uh, 1961's uh, Mothra. We'll return to our island, and, and that's good. But the part that makes us unhappy is you could be. Could be? What? And there isn't anything you can do to stop her. You'll all get hurt. That's what makes us sad. All you good ones are sure to be hurt. Who? Stop who? What is it? All right, and we're back. Yeah. Uh, uh, you know, this was interesting because I had said to somebody that I, this was the first time I had ever seen this movie, uh, which they were kind of surprised about. It was just a movie that, like, all, you know, to be fair, I just hadn't actually yeah. sat down and seen because, you know, and they're like, wow, but you're such a big Godzilla fan. It's like, yeah, but, I, you know, I'm well entrenched in, like, the other, you know, the... 30 some odd Godzilla movies and and frankly where most of Mothra's history is if we're yes. going to be honest about it. Yeah. Um and and in a certain way um yeah it, oh and that also made me reminded because they were like oh because it brought up like how did I think she was done in the new movie because you know they kind of adapt and omit like you know some of the stuff like the fairies and things and you know my my opinion of that is mostly just like you know at this point like Toho has rinsed and repeat like the fairies and like the the you know oh it's it's a larva and then it's gonna be a mo like it's done it so many times that i'm like i'm very much okay that if they want to adapt or omit and do yeah. do their own thing um but it kind of led me to think about this movie and it it, it just kind of really if anything highlighted how much more refined Mothra has become over the course of God's of the Toho Godzilla series, um, which I find interesting, and I, I don't know if any other monster has been quite given that treatment. I mean, that ones that were not just introduced in them, because I think Ghidorah has like their intro, his introduction, yeah. and then gets refined throughout that series. But Mothra was is one that I think that has her own movie. It's just part of the wave of Toho's monster films. Monster yeah. films kind of comes into the Godzilla films and then really uh, evolves from there, I think. Because I would almost argue that most of the things that we end up liking about Mothra um, are due to the next, you know, 60 years yeah. of, you know, monster of, of monster films. Um, which leads me back into this movie in which I would call this movie a solid coming out party for Mothra uh and a good uh I think I I actually found this I enjoyed the film I found it to be a really really good first draft of w- everything that we know about Mothra yeah. and I found myself see- seeing where they eventually took the character and refined certain aspects It is of it. definitely interesting in terms of us watching this having to go back, I think. I think it would be, and it would be a different reaction. I think if we were to watch yeah. this first and then the rest of the Mothra series, 
of films. Mm. Um, it would be interesting to just watch this and then watch all the other appearances of Mothra. Like if you just did a marathon of that and to see really the evolution of the character. Um, I felt this was a gem of a film. Mm-hmm. Uh, I think it definitely has a lot of that show of silliness um, that I love. And again, I kind of like said, like it's kind of almost an in-between of it has kind of the more traditional monster stuff that you see in like, stuff like Gojira. Um, but it kind of is also transitioning into the more personality-driven films that starts really with King Kong versus Godzilla. So I feel like it was a really nice in-between um, there's a, I think there's a lot of good stuff in this movie. Uh, I definitely enjoyed watching it. I think it is, it feels a little long, mm-hmm. um, in that kind of that first drafty way where I feel like a lot of the stuff to like the, the late middle of the movie probably could have been refined a little bit more, uh, kind of put it streamlined even more. Mm-hmm. Uh, it was interesting too, to kind of see what was, part of Mothra's history initially what was kind of added because you do have that spirituality you do have the infant island and the fairies and the song and that all stuff is established but then again it's more so Mothra here is more so a protector of just infant island or just the fairies it's, it's, right. it's like a creature that you summon to to help infant island where again even within Mothra versus Godzilla there is a more earthly aspect to that character. Oh yeah, I think yeah. that definitely does add to it. But I, I very much enjoyed it, and I, 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 it, it was just so nice to, like, as soon as this movie started, and to kind of see those like early Showa era trappings of like people like you know, and it's just like the characters and stuff. It's just like it really felt like home in some sense to me, which I think maybe I enjoyed it. A little more just from that perspective. There was a lot that was refreshing about this movie. One of the things I did think that was just interesting, and I think you were kind of leading into this direction, is that seeing all of this stuff for the first time is definitely interesting. So yeah. there's a level of like, oh, this was the first time the Mothra song was in something. That's it. That's fun and mm-hmm. interesting to see. Like, this is the first time you're seeing the larva Mothra. This is the first time you're seeing... Which is funny, like compare how the introduction of the adult Mothra in this film is compared to, you know, 60, or sorry, 92, and then uh, eventually King of the Monsters, and it's just like how how much of a meal that they make out of the, you know, the, it becoming the adult, um, as opposed to this film. Uh, And there's nothing wrong with how they do it in this film, because in this film, like I said, it's under the trappings of like a monster film. It feels like classic monster movie here, but there's still like an element of making it like kind of a scene, which again, yeah. Um, it's not the case in Final Wars, but yeah, this is not about Final Wars. Um, but there's also the element that was refreshing about because since we've seen so many Godzilla films, it's interesting to go back to a Toa, a Toho, a Toho monster film and see it really be its own thing, its own thing, just removed from all that. So it's almost like. Like you're, you know, you're watching like the opening credits, and you know it doesn't have like the Godzilla theme mm. in it or anything. So it's just, and it's just nice. Not even to like know. a reference to it too. And, it's and just then like, for most of it, it's it, it's pretty, it, it's all pretty well constructed and well made. I found that the human characters were very solid in the in the. I enjoyed film. that. I yeah. enjoyed the, that crew. The crew. I, I thought they were surprisingly strong uh, in this film to the point that I think they're probably. Uh, one of the more memorable cast of films, and it made me want to go back and watch uh, SOS again, especially yeah, with, with yeah, because yeah, because our, our main linguist character yeah, Chujo, yeah, Chujo yeah. Uh, is the person who does return for 
uh, Tokyo SOS, and it would be interesting to kind of compare his performances. Yeah, uh, and I and I remember liking him in that movie too. Yeah, no, I, I, I think thought he's, he made I think a, he's really good. I thought movie. he made a a, a good uh, lead in this one, um, and then. You know, we have like a we also have a good co lead in this one. Our and, classic yeah. reporter. Yeah. <laughs> oh, this is this, this Fuga Fuganaga, I believe yeah. his it, name it, is. It, yeah. This is this is so Showa era reporter character, but he's all like the best of them. Yeah, it's interesting he's one of the better. Like honestly, I, like he was very entertaining. But because I remember us making fun of this type of character in other Godzilla films, but here I was all on board with him and maybe it's because there was a sense of because i knew this going in about the the more whimsical nature that honda wanted to bring to the film the more disney hollywood nature to it uh and i think for the most part it works i think there is a level of you can see him emulating certain things where it's not like it it doesn't come 100 percent natural to him so there's a few bits that are like like comedic for comedic sake yes uh yeah, yeah, yeah. but at the same time there's a certain amount where it works and you you get on you definitely get on board with the character himself and i think that's what's important by the end of the film yeah um but i do think like because there's our our i think it's also just again it was very distinctly like our our, our reporter character is like a bigger guy which i think is very unique uh oh yeah these japanese films and, and kind of takes on a, it's one of those things where he kind of takes on a more comedic performance in many ways but also does really take in the heart of that character and i feel like it's well they never undermine the they make him kind of foolish and bumbling but they make they don't undermine the character that much which i thought was very refreshing i thought they give him like solid like a solid moral basis early on in the movie yeah Mm -hmm. um which i think like is is really good it was one of those characters where I feel like there would be like a number of like if you were to make like a straight American remake of yeah. this, there was like a number of like American comedians that like you could kind of fit into that. Mold. Oh, he reminded me of like, and I I know I've probably used this this uh, this comparison many many times before, but it's like um, what's his name, Dan Fogler in like the uh, Fantastic Beasts movie. It's yeah, like yeah. it reminded me of that type of role oh, yeah, where yeah, it's yeah. like you know comedic chops a little bit bumbling, but can hold their own as like a co lead and. Mm-hmm. Uh, and they give him the material to do that. They make yeah. him, like you said, morally aligned the proper way, and uh, they they give him some stuff to do. And I think he, so I liked all that. It's again one of those characters that's just the reporter character, just well written enough that he plays off the other characters so well. Like, yes, I think like he has like it actually does like when he's talking to uh, Chujo, and then we also have uh, even when he's like with his other reporter friend, the the female photographer. Mm-hmm. I think like there's just enough like. I just imagine uh, there's a scene early on where he's talking to the female photographer when, you know, there's given this press conference about how there's going to be no press on this big expedition and they're talking about the suspicions of it. And just like his looks, he rolls his eyes. It, it just, it feels like a performance and right. it really feels like, you know, you can feel that you can feel the character in the performance. Right. And that's what makes it good. And I think Chujo, just to go to him real quick. He's an interesting lead. I, I thought yeah. that, yeah, for many different ways, I thought that, like, oh, they kind of, they created a very interesting lead for this film. Yes. Uh, just because he's a linguist, and again, it's just kind of, again, that kind of science character that, 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 again, has a moral center. So mm-hmm. even though he's so interested in what he finds in Infant Island, he's definitely like, we can't do anything here. You know, there's, there's people, there's definitely people on this island. Uh, but I think he does, again, just that triumvirate of our character our leads i think 
creates like a dynamic where you can have you can reveal interesting things about all these characters, like how Cujo, uh, Chujo, yeah, not Cujo, um, Chujo, you know, kind of has you know when he's trying to figure out how to save the fairies, and and, and then how the reporter kind of gets in on that. And I think there's just you know, it's all like a solid group of people that's easy to follow. You like following, mm-hmm. enjoy each other's company. And it's just it's just really good. And what would be a great film without a great villain? Oh boy! Okay, Nelson, Nelson. Mr. Nelson. Oh man! Okay. Oh man! This Nelson. Guy. Okay, so the whole thing about Nelson is that he is okay. The basic plot is like there's this expedition from this other country, and you know there's a kind of all the suspicions about it. It's kind of led by this Nelson guy, and it, it's basically revealed that like he's he's basically like. King Konging it, where he's like he's looking for entertainment acts, and he finds the fairies, and he takes the fairies. Right, like, that's like the basic thing. Because, and just real quick, at the beginning, they Infant Island is a fixture. They know what it is. They thought because of nuclear testing, it was uninhabitable. But there was a crash there recently, in which there were survivors from the boat that crashed there, and they inform everybody, like, oh, by the way, that there were inhabitants. Right, because the, the whole thing on like, the island. they think the island's uninhabitable because of the nuclear tests and there's all this radiation. And basically when this group is rescued, they're like, this is amazing. You don't have any radiation sickness. What happened? And they're like, we got this red juice from these natives there. And everybody's like, natives? What the heck? Like, no, it's it's abandoned. And then like, the country, which I forget the name of it. It's uh, like, like Rosilia or Rosilia, something. Yeah, yeah Rosilia, that's right, yeah. Um, I, and I probably may be mispronouncing it, but that's yeah. kind of. I'll make like sure to look it, it up. But uh, it's like it's that. Um, but then the government's like, we 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 already searched the island. There's no people on it. We 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 made sure there were no people on it before the test. But then all of a sudden, this other expedition goes to like look at the island. But again, they got all there's mystery about it, where it's like the government's behind it, but they're not really like seemingly not really behind it. Nelson is the one in charge. Nobody really knows who he is, what he's really doing there. And again, once they get to the island, you're right, it seems barren at first, but then they find like these luscious green forests. There's like vampire vine plants. That, yeah, like, that was weird. <laughs> uh, that like try to kill him, but then eventually they discover... Yeah, the, the fairies. The fairies. Mm-hmm. And um, eventually... Yeah, it's Rosilica. Yeah. Yep, that's right. Uh, eventually, uh, our Nelson character is revealed that he's again looking for acts to like put on. And he's just a greedy businessman. He takes the fairies and makes them put on performances. Mm-hmm. And which, this, which, by the way, this guy which is total King Kong. By yeah, the way. it is King Kong. But this guy, it's like literally, like, like you can't you can't get a more perfect villain performance in a movie like this. The thing is, like, he is such the perfect model. For, like, this is the type of character that Home Alone era Macaulay Culkin would fight in, like, a movie yes. in the 90s. Yes, Like, this would be, like, like there's a very, like, 90s Tim Curry vibe to this guy. He's just, like, the perfect, like, children's movie. That's what villain. it is. Like, like you, you just perfect... remembered watching this type of movie as a kid, and, like, that like, guy's the villain. The thing is, like, he's so smarmy, so sure of himself. Like, he's like, nothing's gonna happen because of these fairies. Yeah. Like, you guys are, you know, it's like, and he's just like, you want to punch him. Yeah, like, he... you do. Like, the, that's the thing. It's like, the reason he's such a perfect, like, family film villain is, like, he, he, really, he's like, he's just being a, he's being a jerk. He's being an asshole. He's dismissing everybody else. 
he he just so smarmy, so sure of himself, so cocky, and you just see so punchable. And he has just the right amount of over the top villainous yeah, that he, just like makes it work. He slime turned into a human. Like yeah. if you did a science experiment to turn slime into a human, and he's every villain that you've seen and like he's every evil mayor who's trying to shut down like the who's trying to shut down like the kids uh vacant lot to like so they can't play baseball anymore he's the villain who's trying to keep elmo in grouchland he's like he's just he's always he's like just that kind of guy yeah and he and like when he he plays it to perfection when he smirks when he smiles when he's angry he just laughs he just has a disgusting face he'll laugh it right in your face he's like disgusting but without being ugly like it's just like it's just the right amount of people around him just like people kissing up to him yeah and, and like you know, just like, you know, to the point where you had kind of made this point that this may be one of the more effective human villains well, in a film. It really is interesting because when especially we get, human villain. Yeah. yeah. Well, because when we get to especially Showa era, because when we get to those Showa era films, what happens so many times is that the monster is the main villain. Like, yes, we have like the assassins in, you know, Ghidorah. And we have like the you know, the the Planet X aliens. But it's like. There's very rarely, like, you know, still, like, in that end, like, you know, Ghidorah's the final boss. Right. And the thing is, is, like, this guy is the guy you want to see get his ass kicked. Right. Like, you want to see him lose. And and I would say it's a hard thing to do in a monster film where it's, like, if you want to have, like, a, a, like, when you have monster spectacle, how do you have, like, this human villain? And Mm -hmm. I I thought this was one of the best ways you could probably do it. And maybe the benefit was that there really is only one monster uh, at play, and maybe that's it. There's two things about it. One is that there's one monster at play. Two, the other thing about it is that Mothra is still presented on, like, it's one of those things where, like, Mothra is in a sense, still presented on the good side. Yeah. You know, that's the thing. It's like all these other movies, like, you know, original Godzilla, when you talk about, like, stuff like Ghidorah, it's more so like, oh, we have, like, this destructive force and we got to defeat it. Whereas, like, everybody in this movie is like, dude, like, just give the fairies back. Like, Mothra is going to come and, like, if you just give them back, there's going to be fine. And he's just dismissing them yeah. and everybody else is, like, making fun of them. And, and like, that's the thing, though. It's like, because... Even if Mothra is being destructive, because she's still on like the side we're rooting for, we want the fairies to get back. It makes it so much easier to have a villain you can just root against as well. Yeah, Mothra is definitely more akin to a like a ticking clock, if anything, yeah. less of like a villainous monster. It's right, just and that like, kind of, yeah. but that kind of helps because a lot of times, again, like the monster ends up being the final boss. Mm-hmm. Like when you even like in stuff like uh, you know Megalon and and Mechagodzilla and stuff, like, the monster is the final boss. The monster is what you're focused on. You want right. Godzilla to beat the monster. But here, we don't want Mothra to necessarily be defeated. We want, you know, the fairies to be reunited and back to their original home. So it's just having this really slimy guy. Um, and it's like, like he, because it's also, he's like, every time he's in an argument, it's like he has to get the upper hand on it. Like, oh, yeah. He, he has to have the last word. And... He has to like make the argument, and you kind of know like you can't just argue him because he's not. He's you're, nothing will change oh, his mind. If ever there was a man to stick to his guns in a Godzilla movie, because he goes down guns blazing. He he continually doubles down on he is own, the owner of these fairies. They will perform for him right. no matter what. And it's one of those things like getting into the movie. Like even when he's at the point where the entire public 
you know, because at first he's like selling out these shows. You know, it's like, yeah, there's criticism of him, but there's still like an, an intrigue and a popularity to what's going on. And like the radio's like, you won't believe what you're seeing here, folks. It, it, I wish you could see, but we only tell oh. you. Even his own government is on his side for one scene total in the movie. Like, literally, because we're told that, like, he goes under the guise of, like, oh, yeah, the Rosilia sent me, and I'm going to, like, you know, head this expedition. And then we find out that his own government didn't even want him to do it, and they would only allow it if he paid out of pocket, which like he, he did. he funded it himself. Yeah. And, and then, then when they try to basically try to get him in trouble, you know, for these fairies, the initial response from the government is... You know, we protect his rights as a citizen, you know, a citizen of this country, and right. we support him one hundred percent of the yeah. way. And then, even a scene or two later, they even back off of that. Well, it's just like, but it's like <laughs> the whole thing about his thing is like he's so holding on to these fairies. He's basically turning away our heroes in every way. You know, he beats up a kid at one point because the kid's trying to save oh, him. Oh, he he beats up the kid and like ties him up, and knocks him, him out, the, and, and leaves, leaves him, him to, to die. die. <laughs> yeah, so he beats up this kid, and like the more he does. And the more that Mothra advances, yeah. the more like the public is on him and is like, you know, everybody even his own men are like, dude, just give it up already. And he's like, You think I'm gonna give this up? Get in the car. <laughs> and it's like and eventually, like, just to go through his whole arc, eventually at the end of the movie he returns to his home country right. where Mothra is gonna turn this New Kirk City. And people are surrounded. Which like, by the way, does sound either like a like a it sounds like a track from like F Zero. Like, yes. Like, like, yeah, there's like, very yeah, Nintendo new, quality to it. Actually. New Kirk City. Yeah. yeah. Uh, but, but anyway. But yeah. basically, he like he's in the city and he's driving through, and he's like, we're, "We we got to figure out something. Like we'll we'll figure this out." And eventually, like people surround his car because they know it's him. It's like like dude, like they're all like, "Dude, just get back to the ferries." Like, what are you doing here? Like, come on. And and, and, and like she has PTSD flashbacks to when he was on the island and all the natives yeah. were, and so, were and surrounding then, him. And then he gets out of the car and he's basically like a madman. He's like, "Get away from me." Oh, he guns down a cop. Yeah. At one point. Yeah, no, no but the then, cop they, they get away from me like the cops are like, "Stop." He he takes out his gun, he shoots the cop and then he's he's dead. They, then they gun him down. It's it, kind of incredible. Like it, this is this Pretty is insane. one. Of, this is honestly like a, a a a great arc of just a man just doubling down, getting crazier and crazier. And it's because because everybody's like, like even his own men are like, nobody's gonna see the shows anymore. Like everybody doesn't like you. Like <laughs> b- people want you to get back to fairies, and he's just so convinced. Like there's got to be somewhere that like I can still put on this show. I can right. go to another country, and it's like, it's definitely like the one of the most fun aspects of this movie. Well, that actually leads me to one of the other things about just the movie, the bigger picture of the movie is just like kind of like a lot of like the text and the themes and everything about what distinguishes this Mothra movie from what we've seen thus far. Because this one probably has the most overt, um, maybe not thematics, but definitely political machinations that influence the plot a little bit more it's way more about journalism than it's ever been before i think that the whole journalism aspect takes way more of a front seat into this one they gotta get they gotta get the headlines but almost to a point where it it almost becomes a pro journalism film like it almost becomes like you know not that you know not that you're anti not that i'm anti-journalism but it almost shows like the import like there's a level of this film that advocates for the unity of countries and the power of journalism and everything because I kind of, even though it's kind of funny to think about, but we joked about how it seems that like headlines come up like 
two to three times daily in, in, right, the, like, in the Toho world. Because the guy's like the the head of the newspaper. It, like he never even says like I get that story out. Like get that headline out there. Yeah, so, right. As yeah. if like he's just printing headlines so that people can see them. Right. But then it's like I thought it was funny because then by the end of the movie, like everybody's on the same page. Like who is the bad guy? It's it's uh it's this dude. He's the bad guy. Everybody knows what's at stake, and everybody ev- eventually gets unified because. And I actually thought that was an interesting way because let's face it, I think at the end of the day, uh, New Kirk City and Resilia is essentially just America. Well, that, that, that was what I was very surprised <laughs> about. I mentioned this a little bit in the preamble, but when they're talking about this Resilia and we're talking about New Kirk City, like, they don't really mention the city earlier. They just talk about the country. And again, I was just like, oh, this is like a neighboring island or something, like more of a poly- like a, kind of a Polynesian thing or or somewhere in the South Pacific. Once they get to Newkirk City, first of all, it is clearly like Manhattan. Like, very clearly like a Manhattan, yes. like a Los Angeles little hybrid. So, clearly that. Like, you clearly have the Brooklyn Bridge in there as well. The other thing is, like, once they get there, all of a sudden, everybody in the country is speaking English. Yeah, it's, a, it's an English-speaking it's, country. And very American accents, too. So, I thought that was very interesting, especially doing the whole thing, not just relating to the entire history of, of of Japan and United States relations, but having that whole little plot line of the the uh, the government, uh, you know, defending their guy, and then immediately like being like, no, you can imagine like the government and the president are like, oh shoot, like this guy's going crazy. All right, good, like let's let's backtrack on this. Like you know, it's like we well, we, we wash so, our hands of this guy. So just to give context to it, I think this was something. I, I don't know if it was in the original story of the original script, but it was way more uh explicit the the tensions between the like the the like what did i have it right here the the ratification of a security treaty between japan and the united states and just like their relationship with each other yeah um that like a lot of those elements were dealt with in earlier versions of this story so it, it was definitely baked into the dna yeah uh, of it was the just film very and, and, interesting. and honestly I think if you made this film in more of the Heisei or even in the Millennium Era, it just would have been America. Yeah. Um, I think especially in the... I wonder if they would have done that in the Heisei era because they include a lot of that stuff, but they still don't well, no, because, go... Yeah, because like, like meet, I think they still you know. make up that like Arabic country in uh, Biolanti. I think there's like a kind of a... Yeah, but then, they, but then they're pretty... <sighs> They're they're pretty explicit about like some of like the grander world stuff. I do think if it was made in during the Millennium era, like in oh, recently, it would have just been uh, that yeah. way. But because I think, I think there's still a level. I of, did like, think it was a little yeah. more fun to have kind of this fictional country. Yeah. In because I think then it was just kind of made a little bit more like unique and a little bit more uh, fanciful. I, I'll be honest. I don't know how I feel about it. I th- I feel like it's one of those things. In retrospect, would I have just wanted it to be America? Because yeah. I mean, if, because I think the other weird thing about it, though, is that this country has never come up in any other like yeah. Mothra or any any other like, Godzilla thing ever. Like, I feel like even like they they don't even reference it in Tokyo SOS. You know, it's not even like that it's, aspect it, of it. It's it? hard, and this may be very centrist of me, but it's hard because like you rarely ever see like uh, an American approximate. Like, you always see, like, an Asian approximate or a European approximate. Like, especially for English speaking, you always see, like, a European approximate. Mm-hmm. Like, you always see, like, like a Latveria or something like that. Like yeah, you, yeah, yeah. You yeah, always yeah. see that, but you never see, like, or you rarely see, like, a, a made-up American mm-hmm. place. So it, it's kind that, of that odd very, that is very true. to see it. And that's, it's hard that's... because you have Japan, which is real, but 
it's just so obviously America. Like, you know what well, I mean? But, but again, like it's one of those things. What's one again? What's funny to me is like it doesn't really make that apparent until towards the end of the movie, right? Because if like the first two thirds of this movie, you could you wouldn't assume it's American. Like just like there's I, there's there's some English stuff in there, but you really wouldn't get the sense of like. There's nothing that makes it obviously like that. True, true. I like, mean, and I, then once they get the new Kirk, then it's like, oh, this is clearly a. I, I kind of picked up, at least for me personally, I picked up that they were getting after like this was American, like the bravado of the characters coming in, like Nelson. I guess, being, yeah. Like, I guess in, re- in retrospect, and, yeah. Uh, but but no, but you're right. It, it really isn't until the end of the movie where it's super explicit. Like that's what this is supposed to be. Yeah, I mean. It, it, because it's different if you right. have English-speaking country versus you get there and it's like, oh, there's the Brooklyn Bridge. Like, yeah, <laughs> it's like yeah. Different like I that. mean, there's like a difference because it's like, again, like this could have been more like, you know, this could have been more on a Sokovia type of deal right. too, like in that Latvia type and, and, of deal. And there is something interesting about that an American came over, ruined this, and then Mothra went over and destroyed New York. Yeah, <laughs> like there, there is something no, and, and kind of I guess fun so it's and interesting, interesting about because that. again, it's just again the relationships between the countries, and it, even if it's not directly nuclear, it's like America coming in, you know, how you know taking things to Japan, and then you know America kind of getting it back. But but also like that is fun to see because everybody pulls an end of Spider Man and like gang up on the guy, and they're like, "If you mess with New Kirk City, you mess with all of us." Like like so they 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 all do. They all do that. Um, so I, so that, so, so, what did you think about like just the the greater story and like the themes of like you know the nations coming together and, and I like, really, the journalism I, I thought and, this was like a very kind of different little take on like our monster film. Again, I think the characters really carried the plot. Uh, I'm talking about in terms of our heroes and Nelson. I also think that their interactions back and forth were very entertaining and, and again very much like you were. It, I, Nelson, like a good villain, only emphasizes how much you root for your heroes, mm. and I think that Nelson being so slimy only serves to enhance our heroes and like their plans to free the fairies. So I think that their whole dynamic is very good. Um, and again, it is I think the characters that really propel the interest in the movie, because I like I said, I do think that the movie feels a little bit long. Um, and I, you know what it was, and I think it was one of those things that kind of partially because we're going back to this, where I I was like I just kept waiting for a Mago form to come because I knew like it was like this is the first Mothra movie. Obviously, it's on like kind of the menu and stuff, and it's on a poster, so I know that this moth form is coming. I know it's in this movie, and so we just get a long period of time with with the larva, which again I'm more into in this movie because it just presents the larva even the larva is just a destructive force and like going over like titanicing boats I mean, and stuff I, like but that but i i will be honest i think there's a level of i i think that some of the direction of some of the monster stuff could have used some work i mean i, I don't think this is right, the I, best I, but, stuff we've seen no no, but. no 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 i think i actually think that some of the like the first half some of the human stuff is some of just off the top of my head, like some of the top, like in that echelon of like great Honda directing. Yes, I, think, I agree. Yeah. I think like you know, I think again, the initial stuff with the fairies is really cool, and and their performance is great, and just like kind of really bringing that all together. I do think that once Mothra gets awakened and is on her way, again, it's one of those things where it just needed a little bit of just streamlining there. Mm-hmm. I think there, and I, I agree, and I think that because I think you get the point of like you know. I think it's really like you get if you were to get to like Mothra breaking up that boat, Titanicing that boat, 
and really showing off that that's a destruction. Maybe get that damn scene in there, and then she's in Tokyo. Like I think that there's a little bit too much. Like they do the, oh, they like defeat her, and then you know they like or like they bomb her and defeat her. And even though it leads to kind of a fun moment where he's like, yeah, what were you worried? Like Nelson's like, what were you worried about? See, it's over. Right, like, right. Mother's not coming. And then like everyone's like, are you sure she's dead? Like they didn't find a body anywhere. Like there's that moment, but there's still kind of like, oh, she she died, and then. She's not dead, but right. then they, she att- they attack her at Tokyo again, like Tokyo Tower again. I will say the one really well directed set piece I thought was the dam scene. Yes, because there's the bit where they're trying to evacuate the dam and they drop a baby, and <laughs> yes. I, I to be honest, I thought they were going to kill that baby. I really I, I, did. I knew, I knew the it was a reporter that saved him. Yeah, right? yeah, yeah. That that our uh, you know that reporter was really hustling. I, I knew he, I yeah. knew he was going to get. But him. but they directed that he directed that scene well. I thought that yeah, that but it's was just effective. like there's there's a little bit just too much. Of the stuff between the larva appearing, yeah, and, and, and it's the not, and, and frankly, it's not dynamic enough to. I mean, like, I love Mothra, and I, you know, I think that there is a some limitations to what it does, especially this early on in the film, in the film history. Mm-hmm. Um, because I mean, honestly, there was a level of that while I enjoyed most of this movie, there was a level of because. Let's lay it out on the table. Nine, uh, 92, Godzilla vs. Mothra is essentially a remake of this. And uh, a much better version of this and movie. It, and it is. It's just like they, they took a lot of the elements. Uh, you can see certain elements. I mean, there's the early stages of, which is a great, I think is great in this movie. And I think they even take it to the, the furthest extent. In fact, there's a lot of the things where I think in the screenplay, they minimize some of the spirituality and it's in here, but then they maximized it in 92 yeah. to, to its benefit. But there's the scene where, you know, the fairies are in like the little, they're doing their performance that they're forced to do in the, uh, cat. Is, is it the casket or what do you call that with the, the wheels, the, the carriage, yeah. they're in the carriage and then it's flying over and then they, uh, superimpose that onto, uh, Mothra swimming in like the ocean. And you can see that's the sea to the scene in 92 where the fairies are singing and they cut to Mothra swimming in the ocean. And I mean, and there are just bits like that are straight up lifted Mothra going through buildings, Mothra going through boats and everything. So uh, there is a level of, and that's kind of what I mean that they, they refined this as it went yeah. along. And I think this is the perfect blueprint for everything we know. Because I also even felt that this movie didn't quite get to the personality of Mothra. Right, it, yeah. Itself. It's very much like, I mean, like it, you do get the little bits and pieces of what would become you know, Mothra. And I mean, Mothra's it's history. not even a female Mothra. I think if you, if, if we remember correctly, they, they refer to Mothra as he many times in, in, in the film. So like that, that was, yeah. Th- I mean, no, no, it was just, well, I mean, but like traditionally, like yeah. I think it, it, I didn't we, even, I, I just assume, I guess I'm, you know, it's one of those things. Maybe I filled in the blanks, but yeah. I, thought it, I thought it was a girl. But. No, I, I remember when I was, when we were watching it and then they're like, Oh, he's going to come and destroy everything. I was like, Oh wait, what? Like, so that, that took me uh, you know, a little bit by surprise. They're just being sexist. Yeah. Well, you know? well they don't know. I mean, they, they could have been just like, yeah. Oh, it's just the fairies Mothra. Really never, yeah. Fairies just revert to Mothra. <laughs> uh, I mean, and like even I think the fairies are done better going forward than I this. Still, I, I those, get I, what I, they're going for. I I kind of am in between, I guess, because on the one hand, I do think that when I think back to Mothra versus Godzilla and to um uh Ghidorah, 
Which is funny, by the way, in Ghidorah, that in this movie they're forced to perform. And then by Ghidorah, they're like freely appearing on variety yes, shows. Yeah, I love that. Uh, but Which essentially, and then you go to the end of this movie where it's like, wait, so did they get the idea of just performing? And Because they, they go at the end of this movie and they perform in front of all the natives again. So it's now just like, well, it's performing in their blood On now. the one hand, yes, I do think that they do get the more to do. And I guess like the fairies, um, we, we, we were rough on Mothra versus Godzilla when we first watched it. Uh, and... There's still stuff in that movie that well, is Well, because it's not great. Yeah. But the, <laughs> but the, fairies, the fairies are a highlight of that movie. Yes. It's one of those things where, yes, I do get what you're saying. I also, when I come back to this, though, I do kind of really remind myself that I, I still love the original Peanuts performances. of Oh, their performances and their... their uh their uh, their presence and especially when they perform the songs in yes. this film are the strongest and yes. that's why you cast them right and I, and I think that it's like it just reminds you that the like the you know the like, I think like all the other versions of the fairies they've done are, are very well and like the casting in Walthor 92 is very very good but there's something around about those the peanuts is just like they're they're perfectly cast for this role like they're 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 they are the showbagen and I think that even if it's not the exact type, I think like I, I think my favorite version of these the the original fairy run is probably in Ghidorah. Mm-hmm. I think like in that sort of sense when yeah. when they're mm-hmm. communicating with the monsters and stuff, I think that's the absolute best. But I do think you see why the peanuts are so important to the, that history and well, the Shobujin history in this movie because it's like their performance is so influential on any other version that the fairies have been because they really are those characters. It's strictly how they're written and how they're directed because they're given this, they can't speak English, they speak a weird alien language. Until a certain point. Until a certain point, which is one of those things where I, I kind of side on the, I get it, I, I don't think you needed to do that. Yeah. I, I don't like, I, you know, I guess there's kind of like, oh, the language barrier and they're coming together as they get closer to get it, it's, it's fine. I, I think you probably could have maybe told this more effectively if you just it, yeah. made them be able to communicate e- uh, easier. And I think that led to the whole like, I think they were directed to be more alien in nature. And I, and I think that, yeah, and again, that, I, I don't think it was a mistake. I just don't think it was like necessarily the best yeah. if i had to kind of nitpick about it it is cool to see though that the mothra song is this far back yes. i think that's really cool to kind of see that that song oh continue- and, it, and it's perfect oh too. It's, it's exactly what you want it to be and it's like it continually sounds great yeah um i also do like that this really movie confirms our theory that the infant island natives have nothing to do but yes. praise Mothra. Yeah, let, let, it's literally the, a full time job. The for them. the the not the not aged well natives of the film, uh, which also were in uh, Mothra versus Godzilla. Yeah. So, which is also fun to see that continuity and the little bit of like the red juice and everything mm-hmm. is still in there. But yeah, they they've got nothing to do except follow Mothra and these fairies around. Which apparently they're always near these fairies because like twice people pick these fairies up and then they like come out banging their rocks together and then they, they have nothing to do. Um, I did like the bit where that one that was dying goes up to the altar of Mothra yeah. and then starts like, he's like Mothra. And I was like, that, that was, that was pretty yeah, dope. But it's like, like every that. single appearance of them, all they do is, is pray to Mothra. Yeah. Like they're, there's, there seems to be no other society societal aspect to these natives except for praising Mothra. Mm-hmm. All right. Well, one of, one of the – so actually speaking of that, one of the things that was in the earlier versions of the story and in the earlier drafts of the script 
was a more explicit explanation of what was going on on that island and they were going to get into the entire legend of mothra and where she came from and uh it was going to be very christian like in nature where it was going to get into like oh like a like a god allegory and a devil allegory and how um you know the there was uh let's see because i i think i have a right here about like two gods conceiving a giant glowing egg and smaller eggs and a pair of humans who would reproduce out this island so it was very uh very christian very adam and eve ish it is interesting though because then you get to like stuff like i mean it's not exactly the same but then you do get the stuff like batra and and kind of a good and bad and and more stuff in that aspect and i wonder like and probably like i i know i haven't seen them but like even a little bit i know about the the other solo Mothra films in the nineties, there's kind of a very spiritual oh, yeah, aspect yeah. to those as well. Well, they, I mean, there is a level of like the, the God that kind of created Mothra in this Island also, uh, sacrifices itself for the betterment of the Island and of mankind. Very, uh, once again, very Christian like, well, yeah. And then we get the, the church bells later yeah. and, and the, the Mothra symbol in this movie, which we get to see in Tokyo SOS is, is basically a cross. Which I thought, given the screenwriter some credit, was a fun way of streamlining that element of yeah. the original script. Like, oh, well, he did bring some sort of uh, religious parallel to it. Yeah. But, 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 but that it, was another thing eventually, sorry, in the script that, uh, or in the original story, that the god had split itself up and that was what the fairies had become and then ah, they're left yeah, here yeah, to yeah. look over everything. And I believe in the original story it was four fairies and i think it was just streamlined to two i mean that's yeah. what I, yeah. I think four would have been way too much yeah one last thought about the natives again the fact that these infinite island natives don't have like any society at least the natives in king kong versus godzilla got the smoke <laughs> like they got the they, they you, you you saw them not just praise king kong like they had the like you know do the whole deal with the whole giant squid thing but like they got introduced to smoking yeah We'll say that. Yeah, but is that is that for the best? No, but it's does like, that counteract the the red juice? That, I mean, not really. Yeah. But like, well, yeah, we we don't know. We don't know the science of this red juice. It's kind of funny that they don't ever really get into that at all right. <laughs> in the film. Well, now that I think uh, about that. King Kong versus Godzilla also has that miracle berry. Yeah. miracle berries. Yeah, but I think those were just to get high. I think those were just that was just good. Oh yeah. I think yeah. The, in this one it was like you needed to survive, survive the island yeah. on, on this on this yeah, island. Yeah, and we do get the so and again like it would be it would have been interesting to see Honda's original villain vision of Instant Island because they definitely do get the sense of like he wanted to do more stuff like that weird vine creature thing right. that, that tries to kill uh, Chujo. Yeah. At one point, um, yeah, it is also funny that the nuclear element is very minimal. Yeah, in in a weird way, like in a weird way where I almost felt robbed that by the end of it, like when they're in the final moments, that nobody mentioned one it. final like. Yeah, because basically, and if like, we put away our nuclear weapons, like I was like, oh, what? We don't even get that. <laughs> yeah, because our again, our America country was like, we were testing the island, on this island, and we definitely know that Infant Island has no people on it. There's no way we nuclear tested it. It was great. It was awesome. It was great. <laughs> it was perfect. It was. It was. A and then they go and they're like, "Oh, I guess we were wrong. I guess we were wrong." 
Also, not bad American actors in this movie. Oh, yeah, no, good, good, no, no nuclear weapons. Yeah. No, none of that stuff. I think the guy that was on the expedition with him was the best. Oh, yes, yes, yes. Put him down. Yes. <laughs> I love I love that guy. And then, of course, we have our American uh, guys. Uh, it's just our crowd. Um, oh, yeah, when they're all like, yelling at him. Yeah, and yeah. he eventually starts speaking in English, too. Yeah, that, 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 that was fun. But even like when uh, there's like the part where... Um, our reporter is like having that comical battle mm-hmm. with all the all the uh, security guards, mm-hmm. which aren't really like security. There's just guys outside the office, like, "What are you doing?" Yeah, here? they. So they're in. They're they're supposed to be his guards or his security, but I like to think that like Nelson is just the kind of guy who doesn't really have any connections. He just has money, so he just like bought the cheapest guys who could guard something quote unquote no, I, I, I don't even think it's that i just think like he has his posse and it's like you stay out here yeah that's kind of what i mean it's just yeah. like his buddies and he's just like yeah you just stand in front of the door so like even like you know our our uh our hero can just push him aside yeah, that was this, an absurd fight that yeah. was that was very much like yeah, a, that, a slapstick yeah. like comedy fight. I will, and that's where I kind of appreciate it. But I have to admit that that's like kind of like slapstick. But you don't really know how to do slapstick. Yeah, no, it's it's very much like you're you do just enough to kind of kind of make it work. But it really is. It's like you you it's it, it's one of those things like everybody's like oh I can do slapstick, but yeah. it's like it's a skill. It's a skill to really make the slapstick work. He we're, he's lucky that the movie gets us on board with that actor and the character yeah. that you we love him at the end of the day um and and the the only other thing i wanted to say real quick is because while i do think that you know the movie doesn't quite get to that level of personalizing mothra and then we do better things with mothra going forward i will say this is it is fun and quite a gem to see mothra I, in full monster form i think it's worth it's definitely worth a watch like i think this definitely is like a very enjoyable film I think even if the monster stuff is a little bit too long, I think that what's there is... Oh, but when she becomes an adult, that's what I'm saying. It, it's pretty effective. Oh, yeah. When she's yeah. like... When the, when all the model cars are blowing yeah. off and, and the city's going off. And again, I, I think like a little bit like the early Larva stuff like really shows you again that potential that really wasn't explicit in, in Mothra versus Godzilla. Um, I did have a couple minor moments. Again, yeah. like, the little, mm-hmm. like the little small moments that made it work yeah. um, for me. Yeah. Uh, when I really like the moment where they report, the the newspaper boss is at the Mothra cocoon, and he's like to his two reporters, like, "What are you guys doing here?" Oh, it's that like, guy was great. The, yeah. the the head of the newspaper. But he's like, "What are you guys doing here?" It's like, "Well, we're we're covering the we're covering the the cocoon," and then the the boss is like. Any ten-year-old can cover a moth or a platoon. Go after Nelson. Yeah. Like he's the bad guy. Go after him. I thought, but that was like a great because the whole thing is like he's after the headlines and stuff. And then like at that moment, he's like, "Listen, like do the right thing. Go after this guy and get this headline, but go after the guy. Like you, it's your duty." Mm-hmm. Um, I also liked, I, I, you know, the the female camera woman doesn't really have too much to do in the movie, but there were a couple moments I liked with her. The one I, I especially liked when when they're going to see the fairies again. And they're like, oh, no pictures. And she, like, gives her a camera and, like, and give us this one, too. And she had, like, a camera, like, hidden in her back, like, uh-huh, like, yeah. like around her neck. I was like, that's well, actually- then she, Well, then she also has the lighter camera, She has too, the lighter camera, yeah. too. So I, was, I just like that she was definitely prepared. Like, yeah. I did, like... You know what? That's actually a good point because you she really doesn't have much to do in the movie. But they give her enough where it's not, like like useless no, they like, give her enough role moments. for a female character. Like, they, I they thought give they- her enough moments. And, and she's still kind of part of that triumvirate enough. 
where it, it still becomes like an, an enjoyable and, thing. And you know what? What I loved is that they brought back the, – they made it a running gag by the end of the movie because there's like this whole thing where it's like, yes, this will make a great story, the story of Mothra. And then she's like, wait – no, I forgot to take pictures. And then everybody's like, and it's just funny because she's always trying to take pictures. Yeah. And you know what? And I know this is really kind of pedantic, but there are two ways you could have done that joke and they did this the best way. One, you could have had the, oh no, like I kept the the lid, the, the, the lid on the camera. Like, you know, they could have done that. Like yeah. you just made her an idiot. Yeah. But No, she's so in awe of what she's and seen. And that's why I think it works because and it's like. It was kind of neat too to see like the airport stuff that had been referenced in Tokyo SOS and yeah. to see it like in its original form. Yeah, that was awesome. Um, that and was like, and, and Mothra just like landing there and kind of, and it, it kind of hints at the beauty of Mothra. Like that see, last scene with her doesn't really go all the way in which like stuff like, um, you know, 92 does and even like uh, Ghidorah does in some ways in terms of like what Mothra is. But like Moth, the whole thing about it is like in that scene, Mothra, like everybody's like she's been destructing the city. You know, New York City is like destroyed and the Brooklyn, like she flies through the Brooklyn Bridge. But then she has this symbol. They get around there and she just lands peacefully mm-hmm. on the runway and she just waits for her fairies to come in. And it's like that's all she wanted. Like then that was the whole point of Mothra's rage in this movie is that all she wanted was to save her showbizin, like mm-hmm. her protectors. And just like kind of that moment where everybody's looking at it in awe. And it's kind of this giant creature just quietly, calmly, excuse me, calmly sitting there while her her protectors come back to her. I think it's a, it's just like this is where you could see the potential of Mothra. And if I'm a if I'm a Honda or if I'm a Toho, I definitely see there this is a moment that you can replicate and do more with in future things. So I definitely again like it doesn't hit the Mothra home run in the best way all the way, but it really shows you the origins and the potential that this character has, and they only serve to make that character more interesting as it goes down. Yeah, uh, I definitely agree with all that. You know, I, I think at the end of the day, I mean, I enjoyed watching this movie. I think that it is a, a gem to watch, especially if you're interested in watching these movies. Um, I think it is really earned its place retrospectively in the history of Toho films. I think it becomes just short of being a perfect uh uh Ying to 54 Godzilla's Yang yeah. where because it's very close like it's very like yeah. a good like a like um counterpoint whereas like Godzilla is like the old very uh atmospheric and eerie uh, disaster film Whereas this is like the more family friendly, broad, uh, adventurous. adventurous film, yeah. Um, and I think that it's close to being the perfect counterpoint to that. I, I, I think it comes a little bit short of that, but I think it, it's a close, it's a close fit. Yeah, I think it's, it's like all of it's right there. I think like obviously we've had our criticisms of the movie, um, and we definitely you know talked about it, but I think it's like even that those criticisms they're they're even like in some ways feel minor enough sometimes where. It's just like it's just a few more edits, it's a, one more draft away from just really, really being perfect. Mm-hmm. But it really is like a good watch. It's it was so much fun to see this. It was so much fun to return to the show era and a gem. It really is a gem of a movie. And I definitely, if you have not seen it, Kaiju Faithful, mm-hmm. definitely check it out. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, one last note is that there was a reported alternate ending uh, to the film uh, in which Toho. Uh, wanted to change the ending of the film that it was always going to be in this Americanized city, but they wanted to change it to this 
climax uh, at a volcano uh, in which uh, Nelson would have taken our uh, kid character up hostage to a volcano and Nelson would have fell into the volcano when Mothra comes for the rescue. Um, but uh, there was a, apparently a Toho deal uh, with uh, Columbia Pictures uh, that stipulated that, you know, that it needed to be taken place in an American city. The details of that are a little fuzzy, but ultimately it's like Toho wanted to do something, but uh, there was something, either whether it was budget or this somewhat strange deal that prevented them from doing that, and they stuck with the New Kirk City. But the reason it's funny is because there's some leftover footage of of that alternate ending and some uh, stills and production proof of it uh, to the point that uh, allegedly some people even thought that it was like either a murder and or suicide of a model getting... <laughs> It, it, the footage is of like a model getting tossed into like the volcano, and then yeah. some people took that as like like very cannibal Holocaust level like of, of realness. Like, sort of like sort of like the like hanging Munchkin myth in Wizard of Oz. Yes, yeah, yeah exactly. Um, so yeah, so uh, that's it for the movie. Uh, some aftermath is, I mean, the rest of this podcast that you can listen to. Mothra went on to be a successful ma- film. Uh, yeah. Uh, yeah, successful film. Uh, one of the more favorable of Toho's monster films to the point of she found her place in the uh, Godzilla canon. Uh, became one of the most popular monsters, especially as we go amongst the female I mean, audience. Like, like I, I mentioned a little bit earlier, but she, I mean, it is. Re- to be said that she is so popular that she is the only, really the only other other than Godzilla to have another set of individual. Yeah, movies. I was going to say then when we get into the Hasey era that uh, she even got a rebooted trilogy of uh, Mothra films, mm-hmm. um, and uh, so that and then that kind of has become the legacy of Mothra. I mean, she definitely earns her place on our Mount Rushmore. Yeah, definitely. Um, we just gotta get the little fairies down there too. Like maybe, maybe they can be they can be like a little statue. Like I think, like elsewhere. again, just like how Ghidorah has three heads. Like I feel like you could also and in, in, like the, you know, this or maybe the- that's the thing people do. They like take the picture under Mothra's head to like be like the fairies, fairies yeah. and then that, and then that's what there's like a there's a stand here little thing yeah. like in the viewing area like stand here to be the fairies yeah yeah oh that would be awesome that would be awesome um so yeah so so that does it with mothra like i think we uh we both enjoyed it enough and uh and suggest it and um that that that's uh that that wraps up the first godzilla film of uh of 20 of 2020 feels good Feels good to uh, to to be there, and uh, I got I, I think our our next film um, should should I should I reveal also yes what, yes what our, ne- I, what I our like, next film is see, I like these I like these reveals yeah, okay all right yeah because you don't know what no the, no no, what no. The, uh, you uh, yeah you usually like you know I've yeah. been I've been surprising you with the yeah. with the Bond stuff come come at me come right. at me so uh, you know we went back and looked at a familiar face uh, with Mothra uh, which uh, has an important. Uh, place in the history of Godzilla. Um, and I think that it's time to look at another face that has an important uh, place in not only the history of Godzilla, but the history of kaiju film films at large, but uh, a not-so-familiar face uh, that we have seen. And I think it's time to take a step into the world of Gamera yes. this time. Yes. And, uh, you know, we won't, We will kind of be removing ourselves from the 60s, and we're going more so into the Hasey era of Gamera. And we are going to be watching the first film in the Gamera-Hasey reboot. 
uh, called uh, uh, Gamera Guardian of the Universe. I'm very excited. I'm very excited yeah. about it. My uh, only reference to Gamera is Mystery Science Theater. <laughs> the uh, spinning and, one on the yeah. on the on the on the, uh, on and the pencil. The, I, I don't think I've ever actually seen those episodes. I just know they reference Gamera a lot. Uh, specifically in the Cheap Seats episode where they do Mystery Science Theater. That's a whole yeah. other thing. Uh, but I'm very excited to check this out and kind of look at a alternate, like, non-Toho kaiju production. Yeah, definitely. I can't wait. It's a, that, That's going to be a that's gonna be a fun one to uh, to sink our teeth into, I think. Yeah. Um, cool. So, uh, so that's it for Godzilla. But next week uh, or next time isn't a Godzilla film. It it's is a James Bond-related James, film. James Bond, and we are going to be taking a look at uh, another Ian Fleming-related work. We're going to be taking a look at the modern adaptation of The Man from Uncle, more uh, Henry Cavill fun, uh, more... Sans mustache this time. No mustache. No mustache in this one. Um, Jude Law, I think, he's also in that movie. Is he? No, he's not. Jude Law? No, you're thinking, uh, you're thinking of um, Hugh Grant. What? Wait, what? Who am I thinking of? I don't know who you're thinking. Am I thinking of who are we thinking of? Well, first of all, it's Army Hammer. Army Hammer is yeah, the other guy. Hammer Hammer. But isn't isn't it Hugh Grant or who's the guy? He's like another the the other dude. What? No. Like what what are we doing? Like we're, we're, we'll find out next we'll find out next time. No, yeah, it is Hugh Grant. Yeah, so I was right. I don't know why I thought you'd law. Yeah, yeah, I don't know why. <laughs> no, it's it's Henry Cavill, Army Hammer, and yeah. Alicia Vikander. Yeah, those are people in that movie. All right, uh, should be fun. It's been a while since I've seen it, so I'm very excited to rediscover it, and I'm very excited to share with you the Ian Fleming connection. Cool. All right, well, uh, that's it. We're done. I'm done, and uh, plug away. All right, we have bonzillapod at gmail.com. That's an email address that we can use, I guess. Uh, we have twitter.com slash bonzilla double seven, facebook.com slash bonzilla double seven. You can like and subscribe iTunes and SoundCloud. Go ahead, leave a comment, uh, and uh, subscribe to the podcast. All right. and Because uh, I feel like we were very in sync on this episode. All right. Well, until next time, uh, can't wait in to talk more. Yep. Good night, everybody.